Amen. Thank you, Ben. Wasn't that great worship? Yeah. I am just totally broken by that. So hopefully, um, hopefully this goes well. Another first, preaching on stools. Oh, it's quite wobbly. <laughs> hopefully this will go okay. So um, this topic, as you can imagine, we were so thrilled to, um, <laughs> to come and impart our depth of wisdom and knowledge to you all on it. Um, but, but really, we are, it is exciting, and it is a, a good thing, and it feels like a privilege to, to talk about, because I think every one of us has some kind of connection to dating, whether that's like a good or a bad one. So it's certainly not something that we can ignore. Um, and Ben's already kind of recapped what we've done so far. So a couple of weeks ago, Ben kicked us off with friendship. That was great. Um, and, and I think often, I don't know about any of you guys, but often friendship gets missed out of sex relationships and, and, and all of that stuff when we talk about it as a church. But that was the first talk for a reason. And we're going to kind of talk about a lot of that stuff again today. So it's all relevant. And actually, a lot of what we talk about today you could use in friendships as much as any other kind of relationship. Um, and then Ed talked to us about purposeful sexuality. So sexual feelings being gifts from God that um, despite any brokenness that we all have, um, and we will all have some kind of brokenness in uh, sexuality, our desires can point us toward God's desire for us. And, and then, yeah, today, how we can be distinctly Christian um, around the topic of dating. It's always good to start with scripture, so, so we'll start with scripture. Um, this, we're, we're going we're to turn to Romans chapter 12, so if you've got a Bible or a phone or something, um, find that or Google it. Uh, we're going to read, I was going to say we're going to jump around a bit, we're not, we're just going to skip some verses in the middle. That's not because they're not good, um, or because they're kind of totally irrelevant, but they're probably less specifically relevant to what we're going to say today, and for the sake of time, we want to try and miss um, uh, we're missing them out so that we save some time. And hopefully, my Babylon will have given you enough time to find it. So, Abby, do you want to read? Okay, so we're reading from Romans 12, verses 1 to 3, and then 9 to 16. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Moving on to verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn and live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Um, okay, so I'm going to start with a show of hands. 
um, which uh, people will be feeling worried about already. Don't, don't worry. Uh, so I just want to know if there's anyone here who is currently, has in the past, or knows someone who is or has in the past or might in the future um, be dating. Great. I, I, I don't have a spare hand, but I would put one up. It is literally everyone. And if you don't, you probably just don't know people because I bet parents, I mean, seriously, guys, in order for you to be here, <laughs> something like that will have happened. I'm sorry to break it to you. So the most important people in any relationship actually are often not the ones in the middle, but all the people around the outside. Okay, so even if you are not directly thinking that you're going to get the, the like three points of how to date, um, this is important for you because you are supporting everybody else in their dating or not dating. So we need to remember that this is for all of us, um, no matter what our relationship status. Yeah, and we're not going to be able to do a how-to. We can't teach you everything you need to know about dating. But what we are going to try and do is principles of dating um, and give you some starting points to, um, to start some conversations. We think conversations about dating and the specifics are probably best done in the place of a trusted relationship. Go to people around you, look at the, the relationships you want to emulate in your life, have a cup of tea, have a cup of coffee, have a pint, ask some questions and, and, and go from there. Um, Lots of you will already have relationships like that. You might be in small groups where you know people um, like that. You might have a kind of one-to-one -one prayer partner or something like that. Um, for some of you, you won't have someone like that or your confidant, your counsellor isn't a Christian. Um, if you want to talk to someone, please reach out. Um, we have a, a, um, an email address. Mm, pastoral at stthomas.church. So if it's something that you don't want to talk to a person about, you want to email someone, um, and get a response, email that email, but you can always come and find me or Abby or Ben or James or Lee or, or anyone with a badge or anyone um, at, at the end. Okay, um, so inevitably we are going to bring our own story to dating um, as well as our experience of watching friends date over the years and um, it might not have escaped your attention that we're married but um, we weren't always this way. We, actually, <laughs> we dated our way to here. It does sometimes feel like it. <laughs> um, we have made our own... <laughs> that, that, that everyone knows that's a good thing to say. That's not a bad thing to say. <laughs> we dated our way to here. Um, and we had loads of calamitous errors and mistakes that we made along the way. And we learned loads of stuff. Um, and some of these principles we were really good at and some of them we weren't and we wish people had spoken to us about. And so that's, I guess, what we're going to share. Um, dating is really hard. Like, it can be really fun, and a lot of it can kind of give you a light-hearted way of getting to know each other. But for Christians, it should have a significance that goes beyond just having a great time. Um, so, yeah, let's dig in. We are going to start by defining some terms of dating. Um, it means different things to different people. And as Christians, we're often keen to find a term that better describes a Christian approach to it. So, courting. Yeah, that's definitely what my grandparents called it, for sure. Um, friends with boundaries. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that one. Friends with boundaries, not benefits. Come on. Get your heads out the gutter. Um, biblical dating. We love to stick biblical in front of stuff um, so that we can make it sound more Christian. But it's not, it's not a bad principle, but we love to do that. Yeah. Um, and then actually one of our favourites is MEEF. 
don't know if any of you have come across this. It sounds pretty cringy at first. We definitely thought that. MEEF stands for Mutually Exclusive Exploratory Friendship. And it is super cringy. And I definitely took the mick out of friends at uni who use that phrase. But there is some truth in it, actually. Anyway, we're not going to call it that. We're going to call it dating. Yeah. So, so we will be calling it dating. Um, but as with everything else in your entire life, as Christians, we are called to live differently. So it doesn't mean that you don't do a bunch of things. There's some things like that. But it means that everything you do, you do differently because you're a Christian. Um, and so we're going to bring that to dating. We need to bring that to dating. That, it might not have escaped your attention that the Bible does not have many specific passages on dating. Certainly didn't escape our attention when we were preparing. Um, slightly nervously for this. It's, it's not really a category that kind of existed in Bible times. So culturally... A bunch of stuff has changed since then. For instance, we might think of it as, as arranged marriage, but that was much more the norm, where the, the family were really heavily involved in, in matching partners of their children. Um, also, um, marriage, uh, matching for marriage rather than, you know, dating. Um, and that would happen pretty early on. So marriage often happened kind of early, early adulthood, adulthood starting at like 12, um, that's a surprise, right? Um, but you don't really do a lot of dating when you get married at 12. There's not much opportunity. Um, culturally, the power dynamic between men and women was even more skewed than now. Um, and I think often now we know about that skewed, uh, that skewed power dynamic. But it would be kind of impossible to have a kind of equal, ideal relationship that we think of today in the culture of that time. It just wouldn't have worked. There'd be no kind of equality in man and woman in a relationship. One person, and I think you know who, would have had all of the power um, over the other. And sometimes that feels like it's still the case now, um, but it certainly wouldn't have worked back then. Instead of dating, the Bible normally talks about marriage or the kind of immediate bit before marriage, betrothal. Um, and it just doesn't recognize that extended romantic relationship that we think of as dating. It just, it's just not there. Um, but it does give us a bunch of advice how to interact with one another in general. And that's a lot of what Ben was talking about in his friendship talk to start with. Um, and it's worth saying again also for clarity as we start here, sex, <clears throat> I've said it now, um, <laughs> it's a good gift from God, Okay. It's intended for the context of a lifelong union of difference between a man and a woman. And that feels pretty categorical. There's not a lot of wiggle room, whether that's a bad phrase to use or not, in this area. The Bible tells us sex is for marriage. So bear that in mind as we continue everything else. We don't need to spend a whole heap of time on it because it's just the case. It's sometimes an uncomfortable truth, but it's the truth. If you're looking for like, Bible references on that, there are lots. Um, you could go to Hebrews 13 um, or a bunch of other places. A quick Google will easily show you where. Okay, so we're going to start talking about some principles um, that we want to apply. The first one we want to talk about is honour. Um, at one end of the scale of relationship, we have friendship. We've talked a bit about that, this deep, meaningful relationship, um, which is even more significant for us as Christians because we call each other family, because we say that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. 
At the other end of the scale is marriage. Why did, um, you, why did you look at me there? At the married. other end of the scale. <laughs> <laughs> I've thrown her. Apologies. So ultimately, the right place for our romantic relationships is marriage. Um, this union of difference that you've talked about, exclusive to those people in it, but working for the good of the community around them to serve them. Dating is like a twilight zone between them, the place where we test whether a friendship that we have could turn into a marriage. Um, in our reading, Paul encourages us to outdo one another in showing honour. Honour is our watchword for, for relationships. If you can nail that, then you can, you can nail relationships. You can draw everything out from that. Um, in our interactions with each other, if we recognise that we're all made in the image of God and therefore we're interacting with other people who are made in the image of God, we have a duty, a responsibility to show honour to them, to treat them as sons and daughters of the king as well. Okay, so why do we date? I think for a lot of people, actually what we're focused on when we start that thing or when we're thinking about starting that thing, when we're in the realm of dating, it's, it's actually more like a list of, of what's, right? So things that we're looking for, uh, you know, your classic kind of tall, dark, handsome um, which obviously I don't fit into at all. Um, but we have a list of what's. Maybe we're also thinking of a particular time, so uh, a when. Um, we're going to do this when we graduate, or um, uh, I don't want to do it in the winter, I want to do it in the summer. Uh, it's an amazing the number of things that people really just want to do in the summer and have no good reason for. But there's a weird time dynamic there. And then there'll also be people who are thinking of a particular place. I don't want to do it here, but I'm going to move to another part of town or another city entirely. Then I will be dating. If I were in a different place, um, it would be a different, different question. And I guess there's probably a bunch of people who are also um, asking a which question. So which of several options are they going to go for? So that's what, when, where, and which but often we haven't actually stopped even to ask why. So we are deeply relational creatures, even quite introverted people, and I would probably put myself um, at that end of the scale, are able to appreciate the benefits of having other people around them to live life and, and do life with together. We need relationship because we are made for it. Okay, so that's what we saw in those first few chapters of Genesis that we were looking at um, after Christmas. It, the why of human search for relationship is part of this cosmic lifelong hunt for wholeness that we're all on. Um, and the place that we, see, that we see the wholeness is the pattern set down at the beginning of Genesis. We're not actually talking about the fact that every Adam needs an Eve as if humans are specifically and only made for marriage in order to have wholeness. But actually what we're talking about is the relational wholeness that we see when people have a relationship with God and with community as well. Um, and it's the breaking of that relationship with God, the eating the fruit thing, the original sin thing, go back to that sermon, it was quite good. Um, and that's what skews everything else. So when Adam and Eve sin, um, rather than taking refuge in God, which was what they were created to do, they look to each other, they hide together, but they're actually not enough for each other. So even though they were specifically created for each other, this actual match made in heaven, the only match made in heaven, um, they still need God for wholeness. So the first question of why date is probably more of a, of a who and where, and where God fits into that. 
gig on. We're going to talk about who, and then we're going to talk about how. Yeah, so the rest of the talk is like split into who and how. Um, and first, that means who. Now, the who here we're talking about is, is God. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm saying we should all be dating God. There are books that will tell you that. But we shouldn't all be dating God in, in that sense and saving ourselves only for God in that sense. But rather, instead of thinking of the attributes that we need, that list, the what's, the when's, the where's that we're looking for, we need to remember that ultimately it's a who that we're looking for. Ultimately, whether we realise it now or not, the only who that is going to satisfy all our needs is Jesus, God himself. So no matter how perfect any other person is, they will never be enough without Jesus. There's an American pastor, a guy called um, Chip Judd, which I think is a fantastically American name. I, it was just an absolute gift. Um, but also a gift is an illustration that he uses. So he, he thinks of um, each of us as though we were a bucket. And we're all way less than half full as a bucket. So even if you were to pour all of yourself into someone else, it still wouldn't be enough to fulfill all their needs. Not only that, but when we find ourselves lacking in something, when we do need something, um, if we only look to other people to fill our needs, then we end up taking everything from them. And we don't really offer anything of ourselves. Now, Chip argues that the only place for us to be filled up as buckets is God. He's like a hose pipe, if you will. And that's the only place that we can get topped up to overflowing. It's not a perfect analogy, and you know what analogy ever is perfect. Um, for example, why couldn't we have more than one person and just fill ourselves up with several people till we were overflowing? I mean, aside from that, sorry, aside from the fact that that would mean that we literally emptied multiple people just for us to feel full, there are some needs that we have that humans can't fulfill. God, however, will fully satisfy every need of ours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us so. That's from Philippians chapter four. So when we live out of an overflowing fullness that comes from God, then we're free to pour into other people as much as we like because we have that fullness from somewhere else. But this isn't what culture tells us. And that's a little bit what Ben touched on in his first talk, this kind of Disney ideal that there is this perfect other person, the perfect fit for everyone. That perfect person doesn't exist. There is no person you can find in the world, no other human who is your perfect fit and will fill all your needs. Doesn't exist. That's why we need God. So as Christians, we need to look first and most to God to fulfill our needs. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we don't have other relationships or that we shouldn't have relationships, but just that our first port of call is always God. And our needs are not necessarily inappropriate. Things like love or fun or challenge or encouragement, even security, they're not bad things. They can be totally legitimate needs, but we just might be trying to meet them in a bad way, an inappropriate way, an unhealthy way. In other words, 
they need to be met first and most by God. We don't want to lay it on too heavy, but this is exactly what the Bible calls idolatry, um, which is the idea of putting anything above God or anything really in the place of God except God. It's the subject of the first and the second commandment in Exodus 20. So have no gods other than me and don't make idols out of anything. It's important. God needs to come first. In some ways, to be ready to date, you have to be willing not to. Okay. So um, thinking back to what we said before, the what's, when's, where's that we're looking for, rather than that, we are trying to remember it's a who we're looking for. So we've talked a bit about um, who God is in relation to that and how he fits in. Um, and the same principle applies, well, we, we need to look at the who of the human that we're looking to date. Um, before getting too hung up on the, on the romance, it's actually important to get to know a person. I know that sounds really obvious, but I think it's kind of important to say. Um, anyone can woo you with flowers. Anyone can take you out for a romantic dinner, buy you nice gifts, play you a sexy playlist. But when you take... <laughs> well, they can. Spotify. <laughs> um, but when you take that away, what you have is friendship. You need a foundation for your friendship and and those romantic moments and romantic days and romantic moods aren't going to always, always be there. Um, in our experience, we have been married 10 years. We've been together more than 16. Um, and there are people in this room who dwarf that and have been together way longer and have loads more experience than we do. But honestly, what keeps us going is that we're best friends. Isn't that really, cr- <laughs> isn't that really cringy? But, but true. Uh, so we haven't quite been together 16 no, just the start, start next month. So, it's in my diary. Um, but if you told us that we could no longer hold hands or, or kiss or we could never have sex ever again, um, granted, we'd be fairly disappointed, um, probably quite sad, but we would still want to spend the rest of our lives together because we're best friends. Whenever I have a problem, the first person I go to is Abby. And um, after Jesus, that just, let's just put that caveat in anything that I say like that. Um, after Jesus, it's always Abby. And, and that includes things like, you know, like technical problems, which I know Abby has zero interest in. And with the greatest respect, very little to offer. But <laughs> I still want to talk to her about it because she, it's, she accused me of de-skilling her. Um, but... I want to talk to her about it because we're best friends. We talk about everything. Now, it doesn't matter how hot or wealthy or well-spoken or creative this other person um, that you're dating might be. First and foremost, they need to be great friendship material. At the core of every great friendship is shared values. And whether you would think of it as this way or not, being a Christian, the core of that The core value of that is having Jesus as your absolute prime value. So maybe this sounds like a really high bar, and I'll grant you um, it is pretty inconvenient at times, but our first criterion should always be, does this person point me to Jesus? There's a bit in the Bible in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 6 that says, do not be yoked to an unbeliever. Uh, Some translations have it, um, don't be mismatched with unbelievers. 
I guess that's in recognition of the fact that like an ancient farming analogy is not going to hit everyone today. Um, but just unpacking it a little bit, imagine a world before tractors. I can see the disappointment on my son's face immediately. Um, but plows and other stuff are pulled by animals, uh, predominantly like oxen, kind of cowy, horsey things. And this yoke, uh, this is technical, guys, come on, keep up. This yoke is like a solid bar that connects the two oxen pulling the plow. So it's the thing that ties them together and helps them to work as a team. And anyone that's seen Clarkson's farm will know when you're plowing, it's important to go in a straight line. But if your oxen are mismatched, if they're unequally yoked, so one is bigger or stronger than the other, they're not going to go in a straight line. It becomes impossible to fulfill their task well. You just can't do it right. I've heard this applied uh, to lots of things, so like business relationships um, uh, and, it, and it, even sports teams. But of course, it has really obvious implications for marriage. Okay, we've got all the heavy talking about marriage. Um, this is meant to be a talk on dating. Why are we talking about marriage all of a sudden? Well, that's where we move from the who to the how and look at how you get from that friendship to the marriage and the twilight zone of dating in between. Um, and the first how principle of, of dating for a Christian is the purpose. So what is, what is the aim of dating? Um, and this might be where we differ from friends that aren't Christians or who have different views. We think you need to be intentional in your dating. As we've said already... I was just going to say that's our first point. If you're a note taker, and I'm not saying loads of note takers, I'm not one of them, this, it can be hard to keep up. So this is kind of like our first of the how points. So if you're writing down titles, be intentional is the title. Cool. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> so we've talked about how the ultimate place for romantic relationships is marriage, um, and dating helps us discern whether that's the right next step for a given relationship. As Christians, we don't date as a hobby, we don't date as a sport, we don't date to pass time. We're seeking to honour each other. If you want to get to know more people, make more friends. Don't date more people. Um, plenty of fish. Well, I don't know what the names of the Go things fishing, are. Go fishing, but fi- not dating. But, but they're not the places to meet friends. They're not the places to get to know people. Um, yeah. It, it can take time to work out if it's right to marry someone. Um, we're not saying you have to propose on the first date. We're not saying you propose after six months, a year, whatever. There isn't a, there isn't a set thing, and we shouldn't be putting that pressure on people. Every relationship won't necessarily end in marriage, and that is okay. Every dating relationship does, however, end with a decision. So that might be that the decision is marriage. Great. It might mean that it's not marriage and it's breaking up. And that doesn't mean that it's a failure. That's the whole purpose of why we're dating. Okay. There is no failed relationship in that sense when we're dating. Just different decisions at the end. And imagine if everyone was forced to marry their first boyfriend or girlfriend, right? And for a minority of people, that would go really well. But for the rest of us, me included, it would be a disaster. So at 11, I started fairly early. I wasn't making great long-term compatibility choices. It was much more about throwing shapes down to five, six, seven, eight by steps of the year six disco. If you don't know that song, you need to look it up. Not, not now, but look it up. Absolute banger. Dating healthily in the context of a non-judgmental, 
non-gossipy, supportive and loving church family environment helps us to work out when a relationship is right. Is, is that how we are as a church family? Can we foster an environment when the bar is so high but manage to keep the pressure low? Because there needs to be freedom to go for a coffee and to get to know someone better without fear that your church family are gossiping about you or putting pressure on you or placing bets on whether you're going to get together or not. Now, I know there are people in this church who probably don't want to date within our church family at all for fear of how we, the people who should be supporting them the most and loving them the best, might behave for fear that we're talking about them or for fear of the impact that a potential breakup is going to have on all their friendships and other relationships. So I think we probably need to do better. Define the relationship. It's a really important part of being intentional. It shouldn't feel awkward to ask if there's something more to a relationship. And asking that question doesn't necessarily mean that the questioner thinks there is something more. It's just a really healthy way to avoid mismatched expectations. We should protect our hearts, but also we need to be looking to protect other people's hearts. So make sure everybody knows what's going on. We should date in such a way that even if we don't gain a husband or wife, we don't lose a friend. So outdo one another in showing honor again. And there is no one, of course, more honoring than God. And that is the next point in our how. Okay, so for the note takers... We need to have the characteristics of God in our dating. So we need to um, interact with others who are dating or when we are in dating relationships with the characteristics that we see in the Bible of God. God is love. Um, There's a great passage on that in 1 John 4. We read it at lots of weddings and things, but it is a great passage. Have a look at it. Um, When we think of how we should love one another, remember remember that first in our mind. Ben's talk on on friendship took us through 1 Corinthians 13, that really great passage um, of characteristics of love, the one that goes, love is patient, love is kind. It's just got so much in there to teach us. Um, And another set of characteristics that Paul um, gives us, who wrote both the letter to the Corinthians and then the letter to Romans, which we read today, um, is that list in the passage. So um, we've already referenced a few things in there, but we're going to go again through some of the other bits. Yeah, so, so looking, we're just going to start at verse 9. Um, this idea that love must be sincere. And we should hate what is evil and, and cling to what's good. Love needs to be sincere. Uh, and what is, what, is, what is the most good thing I know? It's, it's God. Cling here is it's a super evocative work, a work word. But this is a good clinginess, right? We're talking about dating, so clingy has bad connotations. But this is a good clinginess. That's who we need to be sticking to. This is the idea of God being first. Be devoted to one another in love and honour one another above yourselves. We've touched on that already. We're going to talk more about it. Outdo one another in honour. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. 
hard to keep your fervor when the people around you don't share it. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Now, I don't want to stretch this too much. This passage is not deliberately written about dating. So when I directly apply it to that, it's not the only um, application or the original message. But we can be joyful in our hope of a relationship ending in marriage, but patient when we hit the challenges that dating brings. And if it doesn't work out, we're always putting God first and most to be fulfilling our needs. We're doing it in the context of prayer. That's what helps us to do that. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. A, a marriage is not just for the people in it. And if that's the end goal of a relationship, a dating relationship, then it should be true of a dating relationship as well. So be hospitable. It doesn't just mean making food for people, but spend time with people. Bless those who persecute you, persecute you bless and do not curse. This feels like a stretch. Um, this passage is directed to a persecuted church. Um, and um, I don't want this to be uh, glib because the, the consequences for them were a little bit higher. We're talking about death um, for them. But actually you will find people who ridicule or belittle you for having a different way of doing things. They will persecute you. How can you bless them and not curse them? They might say, oh, but you should try before you buy. Or you're just so sexually repressed. There's a whole heap of things that people can do to persecute you. But we should bless them and not curse them. And then rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. You know, we can apply that in several different ways, whether it's um, about the specifics of a relationship or the way that we are in our relationships with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Um, and we, we joke that means you should, um, you know, try and date people that you don't think very much of. That might not be a recipe for success. Um, but there's loads in this but you could, you could encapsulate it all in that first instruction to honour one another. One of the best ways that we can honour each other as a church family and devote um, ourselves to each other in love and honour is by keeping each other accountable. And that is the next how. Okay, it might surprise you to hear that we are fans of open relationships. Um, not quite the way culture defines it, but rather relationships that are open books to other people. So the family unit is really important in the Bible and it's central to a lot of the ways that relationships are structured and maintained. Marriage is a little different, but we should have marriages that are open in such a way that we allow others in our um, church family, our friends, our, our biological family um, to speak into them. It's better for the marriage and it's better for the communities the marriage serves. It's even more important in a relationship that isn't a marriage yet. So we started dating when we were teenagers. Um, necessarily, we had to date in the context of our family units. That's <laughs> <laughs> so memories. Um, so a lot of you will know Abby's parents. Um, they're part of this family here. So we've got to be careful what we say. And that's why I'm giggling. <laughs> um, yeah, so it held its frustrations and it did feel limiting. Um, and there were a whole bunch of unspoken rules and a whole bunch of spoken rules, um, which were intended to keep us accountable and to a particular standard. 
not, yeah, not all of the rules that we had in our relationship were imposed by our parents. We had some good intentions too. Um, but having an external family to keep us accountable um, was actually really helpful for us. Um, it's something that gets a bit harder when you're an actual grown-up and you haven't got someone who's brave enough to tell you you're doing the wrong thing. Um, aside from anything else, we all tend to think that freedom is doing whatever we like with whoever we like, whenever we like. Um, but actually, the Bible tells us that true freedom is living in our God-given purpose and identity, living as God would have us live. And true freedom has boundaries. So be accountable, make some rules. It's different for different people, but maybe it's things like keeping the bedroom door open or not going in the bedroom at all. Um, maybe you want to self-impose a curfew. I had a curfew. I thought it was 10.30. Abby thinks it was 10. Mandy maintains Mandy is Abby's mum that it was 9.30. Um, <laughs> but I think I definitely had a curfew. I got kicked out several times. And then... So my mum would appear at the door and go, it's lovely to see you, Adam. Could you put the recycling out on your way out? Recycling went out on Wednesday and I put it out <laughs> every day of the week. Anyway, um, be clear about sex. Set your boundaries with each other. And if you're a boundary pusher, take that into account when you set your boundaries. And set them ahead of time, not in the moment. Um, okay, so we've been talking for a while now. I'd like, can everyone stand up? Sorry, this is not in the script, Abby. Apologies. I would just stand up because I, um, I can't sit still for very long. And um, sitting on a... Normally, I get to bounce around at the front. So we're just standing up while I share this, this image for you. Um, you can close your eyes if you want to visualize it. Listen to my excellent storytelling. But the reason for those massive arrows by the side of the road before there's a really sharp corner. Can you picture those? The reason for those arrows is so that we can slow down in time, drive appropriately and avoid a crash. It keeps everyone safe and, and it helps us to drive better. But you'll have noticed on country roads, sometimes, maybe you experienced this on the way to Wydale last week, they don't always have the arrows on the corners and, and that causes problems. When the corner comes out of nowhere and you haven't anticipated it, it is really hard to slow down unless you're going really slow to start with. And you're much more likely to crash. And that is when ha accidents happen. Am I right? So the analogy goes like this. Put up some massive arrows in your relationships. Because they're going to help you slow down before you get to the point of nearly crashing. Arrows and warnings are good, but we sometimes need to be the ones that put them there. Okay, just sit down again. I should probably have got you to do some sort of aerobics, but <clears throat> it felt like the wrong time. Okay, um, so then tell someone about your boundaries. Someone outside of your relationship, but not your cousin in deepest, darkest Peru. It just makes me think of Paddington. <laughs> makes me feel jolly. Um, but someone who actually might keep you accountable. So if we date in the context of friendship and in the embrace of our church family, loads of this is hopefully in place already. Um, and if, as the passage we, we've read, Romans 12 says, that we're devoted to one another in love and our love is sincere, we're hating what is evil and clinging to what is good, then we have to seek accountability and be willing to hold other people accountable. Find someone who will ask you, this is the best question we ever had on, well, you had it on a list of accountability questions. What question don't you want me to ask you today? And then talk about that. 
it doesn't have to be a list of don'ts. It doesn't have to be a regular confessional. You're also there to celebrate obedience and honouring each other well, but have a, have a relationship outside of the relationship where you talk about things. And also you need to set your, um, your dating relationship in the context of your wider family and the context of the friends that you feel safe with. Don't just give people PG-rated answers. It's not likely to be sufficient to just answer fine when asked the difficult questions. It should be a banned response, no fine. And spend time with other people as a couple, not always just the two of you. Um, the Anglican Marriage Service says that marriage enriches society and strengthens community. And to do that, it has to participate in both. Okay, we're getting towards the end. Our last how is to have grace with one another. So that 1 Corinthians 13 passage that Ben um, chatted about in, in, his, in his talk, we'll probably call this bearing with one another. And the first verse of our reading today in Paul's letter to the Romans, it describes the Christian as holy and pleasing or acceptable to God. God has grace for us. Such a deep well of grace. And we should have grace for others. Our past mistakes don't have to define us. And we can live into our future with Jesus. We are forgiven. We've thought a bit about this already um, this evening. But maybe when I'm saying that, you can hold in your head the thing that you don't believe it about. We are forgiven. Anything that we've done that needs to be forgiven is forgiven. We're redeemed. We're made new. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he's talking about all of this. He says, um, Jesus' act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. That's it in chapter 5. And a little later in chapter 6, he follows up and says, but should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? So yes, there is grace for us. Yes, we're forgiven. But it doesn't mean that you just crack on and keep doing the same things over and over, at least not on purpose. So often hearing about a standard that you don't live up to or that you can't even dream of living up to makes you feel guilty, hopeless, ashamed maybe. I know that feeling. I think we all know that feeling. Every Christian probably knows that feeling. But the joy of Jesus is that we don't need to feel guilty. We don't need to be ashamed and we don't need to lose hope. We are no longer enslaved to sin. It says that in Romans 6 as well. We know that Jesus has redeemed every part of us. Everything that we've ever done wrong, God can raise the dead so he can forgive all sins. And when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus the rightness and goodness of Jesus, not the things that we've done. And that's the whole being closed with Christ thing. Now, it is important that we do better. That's the whole idea of not continuing in sin. We should try our utmost to live into the example of Jesus. But on this topic specifically, sex and dating and marriage and the rest of it, in a very real sense, every Christian is a virgin on their wedding day. If that is part of your story, and it will be for many of us, know that when we repent and we turn away from our sin and towards God, when we ask forgiveness and when we ask for healing, 
we're forgiven and we're healed, we're made whole. And in that sense, God looks on us and he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. Now there's a whole host of emotional baggage and residual issues that will come from past relationships and mistakes that that doesn't just go away overnight. But God has grace enough for all of us. The church has not always fully and faithfully displayed that grace in all its abundance. In our family here, let's make sure that we do. That doesn't mean that we ignore the issues or the difficulties or pretend that there's nothing wrong, but that we have grace for all those that have fallen short because if we're honest, we all fall into that category to some degree or another, probably more than we think. So finally, coming into land, I'd love to invite the band back up at this point. Um, And James and Lee coming up as well. Let's come round again to what we said right at the start. Outdo one another in showing honour. I say right at the start, we've said it like all the way through as well, haven't we? Um, That is the key point. Um, Okay, I love a list. For those of you who are making notes, just check you've got the main points. The howls of dating for all of us, whether we're the ones actually dating or not, were to be intentional, to have the characteristics of God, to be accountable and to have grace. The hows are important, um, but they're not as actually as important as the who of dating. As Christians, we look first and most to God for all our needs to be met. It doesn't mean we don't have relationships with others, but just that our first port of call is always God. And we need to be asking whether the partners in a relationship, um, in a dating relationship, are pointing one another to Jesus. Let's outdo one another in showing honour. In our everyday lives, and specifically today, tomorrow, and in the weeks to come, How are we honouring those who are dating? And how are we serving the Lord in that? Okay, so why don't don't we stand? Uh, Leading a response from this talk was something that I was deeply not looking forward to. Um, But there's plenty to respond to. And it will be different to to each person. Um, So, have a wee list that I wrote down so that I didn't forget them. Um, Specifically from what we've been saying, there will be people here who recognise themselves when we're talking about getting appropriate needs met in an unhealthy way. That might be you. Some of us here will feel the need to repent of something. Some of us have that need and won't feel the need. But is there a change that we need to make? A change in our behaviour, a change in what we're doing or in our heart? And do you need to receive God's forgiveness? We confessed earlier in the service. But you can be assured of God's forgiveness. Do you need to receive that tonight? And I think there are some here for whom never be lacking in zeal really chimed. Some of us will be finding that their spiritual fervor has not been kept and they need a renewal of that. Whether that's around dating or that's totally unrelated. It doesn't matter if it's not um, a relationship-based thing. You can get prayer for anything over there. Um, I'm trying to point and I'm holding things over there. But now let's spend some time worshipping. We're not going to give you any more instructions. Come and get prayer at the front. Come and pray with the people you came with. Pray with those around you. Um, uh, James, come on up.